I want to set this sermon up with three uh, quotes that were given at Christmas time at some point in our history. The first quote is from the 1940s by a politician. The second quote is from the 1960s from a monk. And then the third quote is from 2019 from my nine-year-old son at our Christmas dinner table this year. The first quote is from the politician Winston Churchill when he was Prime Minister of Great Britain stated, Christmas is a season not only of rejoicing but of reflection as well. We should not only be rejoicing but we should also be reflecting on, on the season, the year that has passed. The monk Thomas Merton wrote about the birth of Christ. He said, the Advent mystery in our lives is the beginning of the end of all in us that is not yet Christ. And then my nine-year-old son at our Christmas dinner this year, when asked to share, Christine always has us go around and share certain things and we're each given a, a question or, a, or something that, that we can share with one another. And my nine-year-old son at our Christmas dinner this year, when asked to share if he could learn one thing, what would it be? And without hesitation, he said, if I could learn one thing, it would be how to stop sinning. And then he said, why? Because I don't want to sin anymore. That's for my nine-year-old son this Christmas season. I don't know if it's a season, if it's because a season falls at the end of the year, or if it is because we've had an entire month where we've been reminded in a good way about all that Christ gave up to come to this earth to be with us. Maybe it's a combination of both of these things, but something leads us and leads society in this season to take analysis of our, of our own lives, of our own condition, of, of where we are at. Whether you are a world leader or a mystic monk or a nine-year-old kid, there is, there is something in you that says there, there's an analysis of where you're at and where you should be. The whole, the whole world hits Christmas, and then after that, it's, it's a reflection on what are my goals, what are my, what, what's happened, what will happen. The blogs that I am reading online are referencing the goals for the future, how to come out of Christmas with strength and, and positivity. I saw that Pastor Jason wrote about it in our weekly update, and there was no collusion at all on that. I didn't tell him what to write. He just wrote it. I was reading the most recent edition of the Adventist Review that came in the mail, and there was an article in there that was reflecting on the year ahead and setting goals for the new year and little steps that one can take to set goals for the new year. And so today on this last Sabbath of 2019, before we enter into a new year and a new decade, can you believe it's a new decade? I mean, 2010 was just around the corner, wasn't it just yesterday, and now it's already 2020. I want us, before we enter into that time, though, I want us to reflect on our own growth in the past year and our growth in the year ahead. Last year, in January, I preached a sermon of series that we call the Challenge Series, and we gave uh, several sermons on, on giving specific challenges, really things that we can kind of measure in a way. Uh, there was a sermon on health that I did, uh, a challenge to, to set one new health goal for uh, 2019, and you probably don't remember, but I remember that my health goal was to not drink soda in 2019. And so I am three days away from accomplishing that task of being soda-free for all of 2019. 
And someone asked me, do I, my, one of my family members asked me, do I plan to stick with it? And I said, yes, I've gone this far. I'm going to stick with it into 2020 as well. Um, I almost did have one occasion in which I slipped. Jason and I were traveling out of town. Pastor Jason and I were traveling out of town, and we were at a restaurant, and they served this really specialty root beer. And so i not even thinking, just having been there before and having drank that root beer, I said, do you guys still serve that root beer? And they said, yeah. And I said, okay, I'll have one of those root beers. And Jason said, uh, you're, you're a soda thing. So thank you to Pastor Jason, who's back in the back watching. That was within the first two months of the whole challenge. So thank you for saving me on that. We also had a challenge about being Andrews. You may remember that we talked about how the disciple of Andrew uh, there's four stories, really four key stories in the Gospels about Andrew, and three of those stories are about Andrew bringing someone to Jesus. And so we made the challenge that, that we would just invite people to, to come to places, to be places where, where people can connect with Jesus. And, and I can tell you that three people that we baptized this year, we baptized more than that, but three of the people that we baptized this year were individuals that came to this community and began to learn and grow because some a couple individuals in this church took that challenge and invited them. Amen? And then, the, and then a third challenge was uh, that we would give up something uh, in this year, in this past year, 2019, and we would, whatever we gave up, we would give those resources to the work of God. And I got an anonymous note in uh, the treasures, found an anonymous note in the offering plate and they, they sent it to me just a couple weeks ago. They gave it to me a couple weeks ago and it was from someone that said, Pastor Chad, I just want to let you know, someone does listen to your sermons. I don't know if they're implying that I think that people don't listen to my sermons. I hope you, you listen. Uh, but, but I want to let you know someone listens to your sermons and I have given $432 to tuition assistance because I gave up pedicures for the year. And so to that person I say, I pray that you still have beautiful toes in spite of a giving up your pedicures for the year, and thank you for your sacrifice. These are all challenges and things really that we can measure in many ways, but today we're going to talk about something that is not really something that, that, that is measurable quite in the same way, and it is our relationship with Christ and our growth in Christ internally, what's happening in us and the changes that are taking place in us Today I'm not going to give you a specific thing to say, okay, do this, or spend this much time praying, or spend this much time reading your Bible, or spend this much time doing this, but, but I want us to reflect specifically on the growth of our character in Christ, and to do that we are going to open our Bibles, as Sharon already read for us, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, and we'll begin in verse 8. And while you're turning there, I want us to think about two of those first quotes we're reflecting, as Winston Churchill said, but then on two of those quotes specifically, first Thomas Mertens, who he proposed that the an analysis of the Advent mystery, that is, Jesus leaving heaven to come to this earth, compels us to assess and to look at our lives and, and to begin to end all those things in our lives that are not of Jesus. And my question is, is do we do that often enough? Do we, do we often enough reflect on our lives and say, as I think about the mystery of, of Christ coming to this earth, I'm realizing that he gave up so much, I must give up more. And then I think about Landon, my son's statement at our Christmas dinner, I would like to learn to stop sinning because I don't want to sin anymore. And do we 
have that spirit towards sin that, you know what, I want no part of it in my life. Maybe it is our unfortunate history with some detrimental teachings of last generation theology or perfectionism that, that there's something in us that, that pushes back against that perfectionism spirit. And so we, we in some ways maybe say, throw up our hands and say, well, I'm a sinner and that's just who I am and whatever it may be. In fact, sometimes I think there's almost a level of pride sometimes that we, when we say I'm a sinner. There's, there's sometimes said with a level of pride. I was at one event and one of the leaders got up at this event and he stood up and he said, if you're a sinner, you are welcome here. And everybody began to applause. Yeah, I'm a sinner. I thought to myself, well, I'm glad that sinners are welcome. We're all sinners. That's who we are. But I don't know that we should be so happy about it in this moment. I don't want my nine-year-old or any of my sons to grow up thinking sin is no big deal. It is a big deal. It hurts us. It hurts most of all the heart of Jesus. So the topic of spiritual growth is an important point for us to ponder as we head into 2020. A lot of Christians who have been sitting in churches and they've been clutching their membership certificates for a long time and they haven't seen much growth and that's a serious that's a serious problem. Second Peter chapter one, and we'll begin in verse three, says to us, his divine power, listen to this verse, his divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. This verse is both crushing and hopeful. I mean, if you really look at it, it is both crushing and hopeful. Let me give you the crushing aspect of this verse in, in some ways. The Bible tells us that we have been given everything we need for a godly life. When I read that, that, that there's something about that that struck me because that means that if I'm not growing as a Christian, then there's actually no excuse. That's, that's what that's saying. If I'm not growing in my relationship with Christ, there is no excuse. Take that in for a moment. I don't want us to be buried under, under guilt, so we're not gonna stay here long, but I do want us all to be convicted. If I'm not more like Jesus heading into 2020 than I was heading into 2019, or if I'm not more like Jesus heading into 2020 than I was heading into 2010, if I've spent an entire year or an entire decade and I'm the exact same as I was then, I'm the exact same now as I was then, then, then that means that I have not tapped into that divine power that God has given me. His divine power. This is the Bible. This isn't me saying this. This is not uh, some extremist. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. That is sobering to me. But there's the hopeful aspect of this as well. And it's actually the exact same verse. His divine power has given us everything that we need to live a godly life. If we haven't been growing as persons more like Jesus, we can. You, as you are right now, can begin growing in Jesus. Because the Bible tells us he has given us everything we need through his divine power to live godly lives. In other words, it's not by might, nor by strength, nor by my spirit, but our ability to grow is based on Jesus' divine power. If for the past year, or five years, or 10 years, we haven't been growing more like Jesus, we may be tempted to throw up our hands and say, well, I just can't do it. There's too much work ahead of me. 
But the Bible tells us that the work is the Lord's and that, that through his power, he gives us the strength to grow spiritually. There is no level or length of spiritual stagnation that cannot be healed. None. Think about some of the other things that we neglect for much of our lives maybe or for a season of our lives. If we neglect exercise for a series of times, sometimes the reason why we don't start exercising again is because we actually look back and we say, man, it's gonna take so much work even to just make a little bit of progress. And it just goes, oh, that's gonna be so much work. And we hesitate to do anything. Well, the good news about the spiritual stagnation aspect is that God says it's, it's my work, it's my power. Our work, our effort is to surrender to him. I think of one of my favorite texts in all the Bible, which is familiar to, I'm sure, many of you. It's in the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter three and verse 20, in which Jesus says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with them. I will come to their table and I will eat with them. And, and what I love about this text is that Jesus says this to a church that has not been growing towards Christ, but has been growing away from Christ. He says this to a group of people who has not been, been, been looking more and more like Jesus day after day, but they've been probably looking less and less like Jesus day after day. He's saying this to a church that, and to a group of people that are, that are stagnant in, this walk, in their walk. Maybe he's saying it to you, and maybe he's saying it to me right now, that if you'll just open the door, I'll come in and I'll be with you. There's hope in this passage there's no excuse for us not to grow. The Bible tells us everything has been given through God for us to grow in Christ. So there's no excuse for us not to grow. But if we're not growing, don't give up hope because through his divine power, everything has been supplied for you to grow. But there's another hopeful word in this passage which is so beautiful to me. Let's skip down to verses five through eight. We'll come back to verses three and four in a minute, but let's skip down to verses five through eight. For this very reason, Make every effort, the effort is us surrendering and allowing God to work in our lives. The effort is when God says to us, you know what, I need you to give that up in your life. And we say, okay, God, I'm gonna let that go, not by my strength, but by your power. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess, verse eight, and this is, I really want you to hear verse eight here. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? Verse eight again, let's, let's hear it again. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to hear the key phrase in that. In increasing measure. The text does not say, if you possess these qualities, they will keep you from being ineffective. That's key to me because, man, I know that sometimes I struggle with some of these things in this list. Mutual affection and and. And, and, and patience and self-control and, well, let's just list all of them. I struggle with all of them at times, and maybe some of you do as well. But, but it's in increasing measure. In other words, I don't have to possess those right now in full measure in order to be, full, to be effective as God calls me to be effective. Growth takes time. That's what this verse is saying, and that is good news to me. 
God doesn't expect me to have it all right, right now. The scriptures tell us that the expectation is continued growth, not immediate growth. The quote has been attributed to so many different people. It's like, it's, it's in so many different business books and, and everyone changes it just enough so I think that they can attribute it to themselves. But the quote, we often overestimate what we can do in a day but underestimate what we can do in a year is a good quote for us spiritually. Some people accept Christ and they wanna be, have it all perfect right now. But Jesus says you are perfect right there. But then tomorrow you're gonna be a little bit different and you're gonna be still perfect. But as long as you're in that growing process, it's a growth process. We often overestimate what we can do in a day but underestimate what we can do in a year. It could also be said we often overestimate what we could do in a year but underestimate what we can do in a lifetime. However you wanna think about it, it is true. Just think about a particular area of your life. Can I see a show of hands, if you're willing, a show of hands of how many people like me have said, okay, I'm gonna read the Bible all the, way this, all the way through this year, and you've started and then you've failed. How many, anyone with me that has done that? I see a number of you. All right, so I've done that. I have a mentor who, who every year reads the Bible all the way through in January, 40 chapters a day. I tried that for five straight years and I never made it. I finally said, forget it. So then I said, well, I'll do January and February. I still didn't make it. I was like, okay, I gotta figure something out. This is just too discouraging. Because how many of you are like me, where you said that on maybe multiple years, read the Bible all the way through this year, and then you failed, and you get discouraged, because you said it the year before. Anyone ever have that? Just a little discouragement? Only a couple people? Some people went like this, just briefly. One lady in first service, she literally went like this. Is it really about like, well, I've got to get through it all right now, or is it about spending time each day with the Lord? This is just an area of an example. What if you're 50 years old? Say you're 50 years old in here, and you just read one chapter of the Bible every day for the rest of your life. And since you're an Adventist, we'll say that you'll live at least to be 80 years old. If between 50 years old and 80 years old, you just read one chapter of the Bible a day, guess what? You'll read the Bible through 12 times. 12 times before you die. The spiritual walk, that's what's hopeful about this text, is it's in increasing measure. Increasing measure, so that means day by day I'm growing in the Lord, I'm walking with the Lord. Think about the metaphors of scripture. The metaphors of scripture that talk about our faith, they always start out by relating faith to, to something small, a mustard seed, a baby, a child, something that seems insignificant, uh, the, the milk of a newborn child. Faith, the, the, the metaphor of faith always begins with something small. But what do all these things do? They grow. They grow over time. If we te treat the Christian life as, as something that we have to have completely figured out tomorrow to be effective, then we're always gonna end up in a place of regret and discouragement. But if we think about faith as something that is Start small, but just day by day grows, and in a lifetime can do huge things. Then we'd be amazed at how much we can be used for God. For instance, look out this south porch window for those that are watching on Hope Channel or 
streaming live, we have one of our most beautiful trees. I like our tree out here on this south porch. There, we have an oak tree just out of this window here. If you're in the south porch, you can turn around and see it. And it's a very large tree. It's the largest tree on this part of our campus now. The new part of our campus actually has a tree on it that is the largest in the state of Maryland, just so you know. It's tagged, so we'll never be able to cut it down, so it'll always be there for you to look at. Um, but, but that tree out there, I was told that when, that when this church was built, that tree was only about this big around, this big around. Now, that tree came from an acorn, as we know, a, a nut in the ground, and if and if you decided that you had a goal to break our sidewalk for some reason, I don't know, maybe that's just something that was crazy in your head, and you took an acorn out there and you started pounding on that sidewalk with that acorn over and over again, a couple things would happen. One, people would give you strange looks and wonder if something was wrong with you. But the second thing that would happen is eventually that acorn would shatter. But if you planted that acorn next to that sidewalk in four or five years, you'd have a bit of a tree, and by probably the end of your lifetime, that tree would break through that sidewalk. Those roots would, would do something and break through that sidewalk. Why? Because the value of the acorn isn't because it's powerful in and of itself, but it is the potential of power in that acorn over time that matters. Over time, that matters. The Christian life is the same. It isn't being perfect tomorrow. It is being a little more like Jesus tomorrow. It isn't having it all figured out today. It's figuring out a little bit more today so I'm more prepared for tomorrow. It isn't that, that I will never sin again right now in this immediate moment, but it's that, you know what, I'm gonna sin a little less next month than I've sinned this month because every day I've been walking with Jesus. That is how the Christian grows. That is how the Christian grows. Now before we talk about how to do that, let me reemphasize the importance of growing out of sin and out of the ungodly life and into Jesus which here Peter defines as growing in goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and mutual affection and in love. And the importance of this is found in verses nine and 10, which I know folk don't like to hear about the consequences of not growing in Jesus, but folks, there are real consequences of not growing in Jesus. And the Bible tells us, but whoever does not have them, this is verse nine, is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. That's a strong word, folks. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can sit in the pews and hold on to our membership cards and pretend that is what being a Christian is about, but the Bible tells us that if we do this, if we, if we don't, grow in increasing measure in the journey with Jesus. That we'll keep stumbling in the exact same way and we'll even forget that Jesus has cleansed us from our sins. We'll become nearsighted and blind, the Bible says. And I was looking at the little notes in my, I written in the margin years ago when I had studied this passage and I would just happen to be looking at this when Sharon was reading it, and I was looking, and the word for nearsighted 
is related to the idea that it will make us judgmental towards others, forgetting that we ourselves are sinners. No longer are we no longer growing, but now we think no one else is growing. But we're good and we're perfect. There are consequences to not growing in Christ. And ultimately, it could lead us away from Jesus and away from eternal life. But Jesus tells us through Peter that if we grow, not that we will have it all together right now, but if we just keep growing in increasing measure, that we won't stumble in the same ways. Do we believe that? That we will never fall. I mean, that, this is not a, I'm, I don't think I'm a fanatic. This is what the Bible says. It's hard for us to, to hear that. Never fail. We don't like that word never. So how do we do this? Well, the answer is in the text, and I've already referenced it a little bit in the illustration, but if you jump back up to verses three and four, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. These verses tell us that by knowing Jesus, his divine power works. By, by, by growing in knowledge of Jesus, his divine power works. And this is not talking about just having book knowledge. This is talking about knowing him. In other words, having a relationship with him and being in connection to him. How do we get to know anybody? We talk to them, we listen to them so that we can learn more things about them, and we spend time doing the things that they do that they do my Christmases are a thousand times different than before I got married my mother-in-law asked me this this last couple weeks when she was when they were been here she asked me Chad what are some of the traditions that you had growing up as a kid for Christmas and I said to her none and that's actually true I said our tradition was if mom had to work, because she's a nurse, if mom had to work Christmas Eve, then we opened presents Christmas morning. If mom had to work Christmas Day, then we opened presents Christmas Eve. And that was the entirety of our tradition. There was nothing else. I said maybe we watched sports. Definitely we watched sports. But there was really nothing, there's no traditions. Now my entire month of December is packed full of traditions. And and I don't even have to have Christina tell me what they are anymore, I know. I used to be, re I'd be pushing back from the table as soon as dinner was over, and now I know to just sit there because we're gonna light candles and we're gonna share and we're gonna appreciate and we're gonna have all these things that we do. I don't even push back anymore, I just know them. As I've gotten to know Christina, I know these things and what are important to her, and I listen and I hear and, I, and the value of them. We get to know someone by, by doing these things, by, by talking to them, by listening to them, and by doing the things that they like to do. My mother-in-law even said this year to me, she said, Chad, I wanna appreciate you because now I see that not only is Christina trying to create the environment of Jesus for Christmas, but you are as well. Well, I didn't even know I was. I'm just doing it because I've been doing it for 16 years with Christina and somewhere along the way, it became non-begrudgingly. <laughs> In increasing measure. 
So three ways. And these are so simple, folks, you won't even have to write these down. Three ways, three ways to grow in your knowledge, in other words, your relationship with Jesus. Three ways. Consistent prayer, consistent Bible study, and consistently doing the things that Jesus would do. Simple, easy to remember. Consistent prayer, consistent Bible study, and consistently doing the things that Jesus would do. Don't go home and find the, the I mean, if this is who you are, that's fine, but don't go home and find the, the thing, how to read my Bible through in three days. That's, don't do that. Just day by day. Day by day. Consistent prayer, consistent Bible study, consistently doing the things that Jesus would do. If you are not growing in Jesus, if we are not growing in Jesus, it is likely that we are not consistently talking to Jesus, we are not consistently listening to Jesus, and we are not consistently doing the things that Jesus would do. It's that simple in many ways. Folks, as we exit Christmas and we step into the new year, it is the perfect time for us to reflect on what Jesus has done for us, but it is also the perfect time to reflect on ourselves and say, have I been growing as a Christian? In increasing measure, day by day, am I a little more like Jesus today than I was yesterday? Am I a little more like Jesus in 2020 than I was at the beginning of 2019? That is your one challenge for this new year and for this year from me. That each day we grow in increasing measure.